Well, again, welcome to Cornerstone Church. It is a blessing to have you here this morning, and we trust that the service will be a blessing to your heart and will encourage you. And um, it's good to have Mike back. Mike's been hanging out up in the mountains, partying, having a good time, most of the time by himself, but I'm sure that Mike and Doreen are glad to be back together, and it's good to have them here this morning. We're in Galatians now in chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, but we'll break this up into two Sundays so that we'll only look at the first five verses this morning. Galatians 2, an epistle to those in Galatia, in particular four churches there in probably southern central Galatia that Paul is writing to, and he's addressing freedom in Christ He is refuting the Judaizers who said that you must be circumcised and adhere to the Mosaic Covenant in order to be saved, a false gospel. And so the Apostle Paul writes, of course, the word of the Lord, chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And I went up because of a revelation, and I laid out to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, lest somehow I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But this was because of the false brothers secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to enslave us. But we did not yield in subjection to them, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me, but on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who worked in Peter unto his apostleship to the circumcised worked in me also unto the Gentiles. Verse 9, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James And Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Will you join with me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, God, you are glorious. You indeed are awesome. You are worthy to be praised. And Lord, we seek to do that this morning, to praise you, to glorify your name by being faithful to your word. And God, I pray that we would understand the significance of what the Apostle Paul is writing here in these verses. God, that we would understand the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God's grace. And God, I pray that we would be faithful to it. May we be faithful to preach it, to live it, to be 
Lord, faithful to obey it, to proclaim it to all that we can, to everyone that will listen. And God, may your gospel continue to affect our lives that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, bless this time. God bless each person that's here. God, give understanding, illumination by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you might know this, but one of my most favorite movies is Fiddler on the Roof, in which a father named Tavier tries to maintain the traditions of Russian Judaism. But Tavier has three daughters who challenge at least one of those long-held traditions, believing that a marriage partner should be chosen based upon love rather than by a matchmaker. Tevye finds that trying to maintain those Jewish traditions is like trying to play a fiddle on a roof. In that movie, we see the traditions of Judaism. But the Apostle Paul played no such fiddle when it came to circumcision, when it came to the gospel, even though that was a God-given tradition. You see, circumcision was extremely important to the nation of Israel. In the first century, it was not a recent invention. God had established his covenant with Abraham 2,000 years prior. He commanded the rite of circumcision to be administered to Abraham and his descendants. Circumcision established the Abrahamic covenant, a covenant in which God promised that he would bless Abraham, make him a great nation, and that would require descendants, wouldn't it? It would actually require a land. We're talking about a kingdom, really. God promised that he would make his name great. He promised that God would bless those who bless him and those who dishonor him. God would curse. But God also promised that through his seed, that every family or people group, clan of the earth would be blessed. Circumcision was a sign of this covenant an external act that pointed to God's covenant with Abraham and his seed. You see, circumcision was a cutting rite in which the foreskin of the male was cut off. And this signified two things. By it, God was saying, I have cut these people out. I have set them apart from the rest of the nations to have a special relationship with me. But by it also... The Jewish male was basically saying, if I disobey your covenant, may I be cut off from your presence and from your grace, just as my foreskin was cut off from my flesh. You see, circumcision was a significant part of being a Jew as a covenant descendant of Abraham. It was a long held tradition, a God given tradition tradition, Jewish tradition. So it's really not surprising that some in first century Israel, some who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, still tried to hold on to this Jewish right. But the promises that God made to Abraham were actually fulfilled in Christ. Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, and the sign of this covenant is not circumcision, but baptism, picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our identification with him. 
So the Abrahamic covenant promised a land, it promised a seed, it promised a blessing, all fulfilled in the Messiah, all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Christ is the seed through whom all blessings flow. And in Christ, we are children of Abraham through faith. In Christ, we will dwell with God forever in an eternal kingdom with a new heaven and a new earth. There's the land that's promised. And through Christ, the seed of Abraham, all the people groups of the earth are blessed. Even now, all in Christ are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. But understand, in God's new covenant program, it is not a sin to get circumcised. Before Timothy, whose mother was a Jew and his father was a Gentile, before Timothy went on Paul's second missionary journey, Acts 16, Paul had him circumcised. Not because it was necessary for salvation, but because the scripture says there were Jews there. Dr. R.C. Sproul wrote this, though it was obligatory for the Jew in the Old Testament and was a matter of must. It is now, with the change in the fulfillment of redemptive history, a matter of May. Timothy was circumcised, not for salvation, but for ministry. He became all things to all men that he might save some. However, to require circumcision for salvation is another matter altogether. It's actually a matter of heresy, of false doctrine, a corruption of the gospel. It turns the grace of God into another gospel altogether, a gospel that cannot save, a gospel that leaves one condemned and in more bondage than he were, than he was in the first place. And Paul speaking the word of the Lord in Galatians 1 9 says this, if any man is proclaiming to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, let him be anathema. Condemned, eternally condemned. It speaks of eternal destruction. You see, this is the heart of God for the gospel. The gospel must be pure. It is the gospel of God. It's not our gospel. It originates from, it is of God. It's the gospel of God by which came, or which came, I should say, by revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. When it is corrupted, it becomes the tool of the devil, which condemns not only the preacher, but the deceived. It condemns to eternal destruction for anyone who does not love the Lord is anathema. First Corinthians sixteen twenty two. So with that in mind, Let's consider our text for today, Galatians 2, and let's read verses 1 and 2 together once again. The Apostle Paul writing to those four churches in Galatia, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And I went up because of a revelation, and I laid out to them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation, lest somehow I might be running or had run in vain. Now, you might remember the previous verses that we looked at over the last couple of weeks. Paul had demonstrated from his pre-conversion life 
from his conversion experience itself and then his post-conversion life, speaking of three particular years, that he had been sent by God and his message came by revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul wanted the Galatians to know that the gospel of grace, this gospel apart from works, was not the invention of a small group of Jewish men. The gospel came by revelation of Jesus Christ. But Paul also wanted the Galatians to know that the gospel that he preached was not contrary to the other apostles. It was the same gospel, the good news of God's grace received through faith in Christ. So he writes here, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. So after spending three years in Arabia and Damascus, and then visiting Cephas and James, the Lord's brother, for 15 days in Jerusalem, remember that? Paul spent, and that's what it's talking about here, 14 years on his first missionary journey. This is when Paul established the churches of Galatia, churches in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. So why does he come back to Jerusalem? This is where the primary apostles were located. This is where and when Paul participated in the Jerusalem council in about 49 AD, again, in Jerusalem. And according to Acts 15, they were sent to deal with the false teaching of the Judaizers who taught that, Acts 15, verse 1, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. What heresy. What a rejection of the new covenant promise. What a rejection of Christ, a rejection of the grace of Christ. Notice who sent Paul. He says in verse 2, I went up because of a revelation and laid out to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. It was because of a revelation. God apparently spoke both to Paul and the leaders of the church in Antioch because Acts 15 tells us that Those leaders are the ones that sent him. Notice Paul laid out to them the gospel, which he preached among the Gentiles. So the idea is here that he laid out the gospel before them. That's the word for their consideration. They were, we could say, comparing notes, so to speak. But who was the them To whom did he lay the gospel out? Well, first in Antioch, we know that from Acts. First in Antioch, Paul laid out the gospel to the local church apostles and elders, including in Antioch, Peter, John, James, the Lord's half-brother. But then in Jerusalem, to the whole church, including all the apostles and elders and church members, and also visiting believers sent from Antioch and possibly other places. Acts 15 once again. And Paul says this, I did so. I laid out the gospel to them. I did so privately to those who were of reputation, lest somehow I might be running or had run in vain. So Paul first laid out the gospel of God's grace privately. This apparently was Antioch, because when he does so 
publicly in Jerusalem, according to Acts 15, 5, it says some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. So Judaizers, Pharisees, were actually present at the Jerusalem Council Council making erroneous claims. So what happened? What happened there in Jerusalem? Well, Peter stood up and he responded to the claims of these Pharisees. And this is what he said, beginning in verse 7 of that chapter. Brothers, and listen carefully. Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, listen to this, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us, us Jews, And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we, verse 11, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also you see in the new covenant through the power of the spirit, the Abraham covenant is fulfilled so that in Abraham, in his seed, all who is Christ, by the way, all the families of the earth are blessed. So salvation is both for the Jew and the Gentile and through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is no distinction In verse 9, again, he said, and he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Cleansing their hearts by faith. It is through faith that we're saved. It is through faith that we're cleansed, that we're made new. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Folks, it is by the grace of God through faith. That's simple. By grace alone, through faith alone, you cannot add to what God has done. This is God's way. This is God's word. This is the command to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we come back to Galatians 2, and let's look at verses 3 through 5 now. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. (coughs) Excuse me. But this was because of the false brothers secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order What were they doing? In order to enslave us. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would remain in you. Titus, a true believer, was living proof that circumcision and Mosaic regulations are not necessary for salvation. The Jerusalem Council 
refused to cave in to the demands of the Judaizers to have the Gentile believers, such as Titus, circumcised. They refused to trouble those who were turning to God among the Gentiles by compelling them to be circumcised. To have Titus circumcised would have undercut the gospel of grace. It would have corrupted the good news which is apart from the works of the law. Paul had like, like, likely, or at least I think, Paul brought Titus to Jerusalem for the very purpose of refuting the Judaizing false brothers. These false believers who had sneaked in to spy out our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to enslave us. You see, they were not looking for freedom in Christ. They still wanted people to stay or be brought into bondage. Dr. John MacArthur writes this. Paul was confident that Titus would be allowed to leave Jerusalem uncircumcised, just as he had entered with the full blessing of the apostles and elders. And if Gentile believers were not compelled to be circumcised in Jerusalem, which was still home base. For most of the apostles, how could they be required to be circumcised in their home countries? Henceforth, henceforth, Titus was a living verification that the Judaizers taught a spurious gospel that was rejected by the rest of the church. End of quote. But I want you to also notice from these verses, the Judaizers here are named as false brethren. Pseudo-Delphos, sometimes translated sham Christians or pseudo-Christians, but it literally means false brothers or false brethren. These false brothers had developed a hybrid faith that was neither Judaism, true Judaism, since they claimed that Jesus was the Christ, nor was it true Christianity, since they demanded circumcision and adherence to the Mosaic law. You see, it is impossible to be a Christian and remain a legalist. It's impossible to trust Christ and add anything to what Christ has done. Listen to what Paul says later in chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You can't just keep part of it. You can't just pick and choose what you'd like if you fall under that spell that I must keep the Mosaic covenant, that I must add something to what Christ has done. You must keep it all. Verse 4 of that chapter, chapter 5, you have been severed, excuse me, you have been severed from Christ. You who are being justified by law, you have fallen from grace. You see, to receive circumcision as a means of justification is to fall under the demands of the law, which no man can keep. It leaves us unsavable because you cannot be saved by works. To receive circumcision as a means of salvation means you're severed from Christ and fallen from grace. 
You see, there is no hope apart from the gospel of God's grace. If we could be saved by the works of the law, Christ's death would be insufficient and unnecessary. It is only through Christ that people are saved. The work of the Lord Jesus Christ through who he is and what he has done in his death, burial, and resurrection that men and women, sinners, are saved. It is by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, you know this well, in chapter 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Listen to verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was to the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Paul says what the law could not do, God did. What the law could not do because it was weak through the flesh, God did, sending his, own son, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. God says, trust my son, believe in him, repent and believe the good news of my son. He is the offering for our sin. To add anything to what Christ has done is to reject the son and fall from grace. Notice the resolution of Paul and Barnabas and Titus in Galatians chapter 2, verse 5. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Paul became all things to all men that he might by all means save some. But folks, in doctrinal matters, especially those relating to the gospel, he was resolute and unwavering. He spoke the truth. He did not make concessions for the sake of the Judaizers. He did not yield an inch to accommodate false brethren. He stood without compromise for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, grace that's found in Christ and Christ alone. The leaders at the church, the leaders of the church at Jerusalem were wholeheartedly in agreement Concerning Paul's gospel, their declarations at the Jerusalem council were were unanimous among them, both among the apostles and the elders. They were unanimous. You see, Paul had demonstrated earlier that, yes, he did not get his gospel from the other apostles. They had not colluded. His gospel came by the revelation of Jesus Christ. But it was also important for the Galatians to understand that while he did not get his gospel from the apostle, that God had spoke to him and to them the same gospel. They were all in unison preaching the gospel of God's grace. This was from God and of God, this gospel of Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, I want to take you to a couple texts. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in chapter 3, verse 2. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of uh, 
mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul begins, beware of dogs. He calls these false brethren, these Judaizers, these Pharisees, if you will, he calls them dogs. He's referring not to a pet. He's referring to the wild scavengers that plagued ancient cities. These dogs roaming roaming in packs, feeding on garbage. Why did he do this? Because just like those dogs, these Judaizers were spiritually unclean and filthy. He calls them evil workers while the false teachers prided themselves on their supposed righteousness. They were in reality evil workers because they did the works of the evil one. He calls them mutilation since they cut off people from God and the truth of the gospel. Paul says, for we are the circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What did Paul mean? We are the circumcision. Colossians 2 makes it clear. The Apostle Paul writes to that church of Colossae, in whom or in Christ you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. Jewish circumcision, that physical circumcision, was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant, a picture that God's people needed cleansing. They needed to be set apart from the nations of the world. They needed to be holy. They were chosen of God. But this cutting right did not actually cleanse anyone. You can have a physical circumcision and remain unholy and separated from God. The cutting right did not cleanse anyone. It pictured, though, a circumcision yet to come, a circumcision without hands, the removal of the fleshly nature by the circumcision of Christ. You see, through the circumcision of Christ, through regeneration, really, through our identification with Christ through faith, God has cut off the filth of our hearts. He has given us new hearts by the work of the Spirit and the cleansing of the Word of God, the washing of the Word. He has cleansed us, given us new hearts, new want-tos, new desires. He has written, even in one place, the word engraved is used. He has engraved His law upon our hearts and our minds. We are the people of God. He is our God and we are His people. You see, Christ, again, is the mediator of the new covenant. Now notice what Paul wrote to those in Rome. Chapter 2, verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, 
and his praise is not from men, but from God. Paul is talking about the new birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth. He's talking about regeneration. He's talking about being raised from spiritual death to spiritual life by the cleansing of the spirit. By regeneration. Jesus said to a to a Pharisee, excuse me, a Judaizer, John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then later in that same context, in that same discussion with this Pharisee named Nicodemus, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. There's the gospel. There's that word again, believe or faith, pistis in the Greek. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's that simple. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. When the Philippian jailer cried out to Paul and Silas, he cried out and said this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yes, this word pistis or faith or belief is not just believing the facts. It's not even just being completely persuaded. It involves a penitent faith. We see that in scripture. It's a turning away from sin by the power of God and a rest in Christ alone. He is the Christ, the Savior of the world. We must trust or rest in him. He bore my sins. He took my place. And when he did that, when he died upon Calvary's cross, he perfectly satisfied God's demand for the payment of sin. Trust in him. Look to him. Salvation is through faith. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And those who are resting in Christ alone have fellowship with God. We are not only sons of Abraham through faith. We are children of God. We have been brought into his family. We have been brought into fellowship with the God of all creation. We are his children. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we would be called the children of God, and such you are. John writes, think of it. Not because of anything that we have done, but through his mercy, he saved us. It's all based upon him. It's all because of what he has done. Jesus Christ took our place. Look to him. There is no other place to look. You cannot do anything to save yourself. Neither can you add to what Christ has done. He has done it all. And it makes me, when I understand who he is, that he is Yahweh God of the Old Testament in the person of the Son, and that he bore my sins and he took my place. It makes me bow before him in worship. It makes me trust in him, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So through faith in him, we have communion with the God of all creation. Think of it. The one that spoke, and it was. 
the one that said, let there be light. And there was light just like that. This sovereign, powerful, omnipotent God. That even though we have sinned against him, he loves us and sent his only son to die in our place. And through his grace, through his son, we have communion with him. And this is why we practice weekly communion here at Cornerstone Church. Because of the grace of God and because the scriptures, I believe, are clear. This is a weekly practice. We really celebrate in communion the communion that we have with God and one another. It's the word fellowship, koinonia, participation. And we, we commune with him by remembering our Lord's sacrificial death. And we're to do so until he comes again, for he will come again. Does it matter how long it may seem? It doesn't matter that thousands of years that go by, God's promises are sure. And in his sovereign will, Jesus Christ will return and establish an eternal kingdom. He will not just, he, he, and we have said it many times, he inaugurated the kingdom at his first coming. But folks, he will consummate that kingdom. He will destroy his enemies and he will consummate the kingdom at his second coming. So with that said, Jumping around here, here a little bit, but communion is not for everyone. It is for those who are of the true circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. Have you been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands? Do you have a new living heart that loves God and loves God's people? even loves the sinner, love your neighbor. Well, we come together and we remember the Lord's death. We do so until he comes. We do so with two elements, unleavened bread and wine or grape juice. The unleavened bread represents the sinless body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for us and through his flesh, through the crucifixion, we enter into the presence of God without guilt. We enter wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We enter as God's own children. We come before him. And just as an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, oh, how much more our heavenly father knows how to bless us. And he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We're not talking about earthly things. We're not talking about wealth or even health. We're talking about things that are eternal, spiritual blessings. The wine represents the blood of Christ that washes away all sin. Think of it. Doesn't matter what we have done. It doesn't matter what sin we've committed. Through faith in Christ, it is gone. It is washed away. He has buried our sin in the depth of the sea. It is separated from us as far as the east is from the west. And I think the bitterness of the wine represents the justice of God, whereas the sweetness represents abundant blessings. We see both in the Old Testament and the New. 
So to me, the wine also pictures that Jesus Christ took our full wrath, that we might have his abundant blessings. Think of it. So if you're not born again this morning, let it pass you by. But if you're born again, examine yourself. Consider your heart, your purpose, your motive. Consider any sin. Examine yourself. Repent of whatever you need to repent of. Confess it before God and then partake. And you will partake in a worthy manner if you do that. So let's take a few moments and let's pray to God. Let's bring it all before him. Examining not anybody else but your own heart before God so that you might partake in this act of worship this morning and thereby grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.